Well, happy Easter. Um, I'm excited to be with you today. Uh, my name is John Carroll. I'm one of the other pastors here on staff at Hope Covenant. And there's an Easter tradition in lots of churches that many of you are familiar with. It's when the pastor exclaims, he is risen. And then the congregation enthusiastically responds with, he is risen indeed. Yeah, some of you know it. So I want to do this together today. Can we experiment with that? Okay, let's try that all together. He is risen. And of course, these statements have to do with the resurrection of Jesus. And in these few moments, I want to explain why the resurrection is so important and then give you a chance to express a commitment to this Jesus in what could be an unforgettable moment for you. I'll often greet people by saying, what's new? Meaning, what are you pumped up about? What's changing in your life? I love it when people have something exciting to say. Now, if you ask a bored, cynical person, what's new, what will they say? Nothing. Same old, same old. And that's actually kind of an ancient worldview. The Bible, in the book of Ecclesiastes, expresses how life looks apart from God. It says, all things are wearisome. More than one can say. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. There was once a group of 12 very ordinary people, fishermen and tax collectors. If you asked them, what's new? Their answer would be pretty much nothing, same old, same old. Until one day, out of the blue, a man named Jesus called them to follow him. And for three years, every time anybody asked them, what's new? They would have the same answer. Jesus, you can't believe this guy. Every day, Jesus did this or said that or went there. He touched a leper. He cleared a temple. He healed a blind man. He partied with some tax collectors. He prayed with a prostitute. He cursed a fig tree, calmed the storm, walked on water. For three years, any day, anyone asked, what's new? Their answer would be, it's Jesus. Until one day, Friday, what's new? They killed him. It's all over. He's dead. And the next day, Saturday, what's new? Nothing. For the first time since they met Jesus, nothing is new under the sun. Same old, same old. And then the next day, Sunday, what's new? Everything. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Death is defeated. Sin is forgiven. Hope wins. Hell loses. What's new? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And here's the thing. It wasn't just him. It's like this little bit of this resurrection power got into his followers. It's like his new life gave them new life. About seven weeks later came what was called the day of Pentecost. And we're told, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This was a big deal. This was a huge holiday. Everybody crowded into the city. Nobody got any work done. It was kind of like a Super Bowl parade for the Kansas City Chiefs. (laughs) Wait, most of you don't 
Here's another example. It was kind of like St. Patrick's Day in Chicago. We're told, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. This is an amazing moment. When Jesus has been arrested a few weeks earlier, the disciples scattered like scared little children. They hid. Peter not only did that, he actually denied that he followed or even knew Jesus. Not once, but three times. Now, less than two months later, they're in the very same city with the same mob that killed Jesus. And the same Peter is risking his life. What changed? What's new? Well, Peter's going to tell them. He says, people of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. And the crowd thinks, yeah, I heard him teach. I saw him heal. I watched him lead. And Peter continues, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And again, this is a terribly public event. Everybody has heard about this. Many of the folks in the crowd were there. By the way, what amazing courage for Peter to stand up and say to them, and you put him to death. You all did this with the help of wicked men, the Roman soldiers who were there too. And Peter goes on. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. You see, the resurrection is the most important thing that has ever happened. One of the unique aspects of Christianity is that you can know exactly what day it started on. It has a definite starting point. And this is not true for Judaism or Buddhism or Islam or any other religion or philosophy, as far as I know. Christianity started in one place, on one day, at one moment, with one man. It didn't exist on Saturday, but on Sunday, it did exist. What was new? You see, Christianity did not, did not arise from wonderful ethical teachings. It did not evolve from a meaningful philosophy on life. It was not the result of wishful thinking. It was not born out of a mistaken autopsy report. The disciples were really clear about what happened to Jesus. A guy by the name of Warren Wearsby wrote an article for Christianity Today years ago. Somebody wrote in and asked him, our preacher said on Easter that Jesus just swooned on the cross and the disciples nurtured him back to health. What do you think? Sincerely, bewildered. And he wrote back, dear bewildered, preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for three hours, run a spear through his heart, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours and see what happens. People sometimes think that in a pre-scientific era, the disciples miss Jesus so much, they experienced his presence in some kind of a mystical way. They felt like his spirit was somehow still with them, so these stories of an empty tomb developed over the years as kind of a legend or a myth. 
that symbolized higher truths about our need for hope and so on. The problem with that line is nobody signs up for suffering, persecution, and martyrdom, which the disciples did by historical record in the service of a myth they know to be false. Who would do that? This emphasis on the resurrection accounts being eyewitness testimony and not poetic metaphor runs throughout all the New Testament. And there are dozens of examples of this, but I'll just give you one small example. When Jesus is carrying the cross, Mark tells us in his gospel, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Why would Mark list those names in the middle of his gospel? Well, it's only for one reason. One of his sources would have been this man Simon, Simon from Cyrene. When the gospel was written, Simon's sons, Alexander and Rufus, were still alive, and you could go ask them. In ancient eyewitness literature like this, names are given. They kind of play the role that footnotes do in modern literature, to document. In other words, he is risen is not a statement of vague hope. Whatever you think about it, it is and was clearly understood to be a claim about reality. That's why Peter's quite explicit. He says, God raised this Jesus to life, and we are not sharers of a mystic feeling, not tellers of an ancient legend. We are witnesses of this fact. Peter explains this in the face of great danger for which he would be imprisoned and eventually killed a few weeks later and a few blocks away from the precise spot where Jesus was killed and he ran away in denial. We're told, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, cut to the heart is what you feel when you suddenly realize you miss a great opportunity. In 1999, a tiny little search engine company run from a garage in Menlo Park, California, was just getting off the ground in the midst of the dot-com boom. It only had three employees, including co-founders Larry Page and Sergey Brin. By contrast, Excite was a major internet portal. Do you remember Excite? Well, Excite was one of the pioneers in the business, therefore an industry leader, and its CEO was a guy by the name of George Bell. A guy by the name of Vinod Kosla, founder of Kosla Ventures, and a partner at Kleiner Perkins, another venture capitalist firm, were interested in acquiring this little company. At the time, search engines were neither very efficient nor accurate, resulting in as many misses as hits. Kosla was therefore impressed with the algorithm that they were working on, and it seemed very promising. The venture capitalist had backed Excite, so we got Bell the CEO of Excite, to agree to a meeting. Larry Page and Sergey Brin offered a selling price of $1 million for their fledgling company. But Bell found it to be too high. So they were advised to uh, lower the price to $750,000. And so they did. However, Bell still found it to be too high, and he canceled the negotiations. Kleiner Perkins decided to invest in this little startup, but Costa Ventures didn't. So you can imagine how cut to the heart they felt when that little startup 
went on to become Google, currently worth over $110 billion. And as they say, the rest is history. Well, back to the story. The crowd Peter was speaking to realized, realized that to know and to love and to follow this man Jesus is the greatest opportunity ever offered to human beings. And it remains that to this day. They had missed it. And they were just throwing their life away on money or success or health or security or comfort or reputation. Or whatever stupid thing it is that we're all tempted to give our lives to. In a moment of clarity, of moral sanity, they are cut to the heart. Is there nothing we can do? Is it too late for us? The text says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, in his power and in his love and in his presence, for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent means start again. Start again. Repent means I realize and confess I can't manage my life. I can't handle my will. I can't clean up my act on my own. I can't stand before a holy God on my own merits. I'm kind of a mess. Now, I'm a little bit of a neat nick, and I have some OCD tendencies that pop up from time to time. In fact, I had somebody tell me not long ago that I'm so OCD that I'm CDO because I have to put the letters in alphabetical order. So maybe you already know this about me. <laughs> Easy. And my appearance can be sometimes, okay, almost always a bit of a big deal for me. And so lately I've had this huge problem of spilling food on myself. You know, I thought this was a three-year-old problem, but apparently it's a 43-year-old problem too. A little mustard from the bratwurst, spaghetti sauce on the white shirt, black coffee on my dress slacks. I spill something on me, and then I'm faced with the cold, hard reality that I'm not OCD. I'm a total mess, and I need to be cleaned up. You see, to repent means to say, I have a sin-stained soul, and I can't clean it up by myself. There's a humility to this, but I don't have to. There's a grace to this. I'm trusting Jesus to be my forgiver and my leader and my friend. I'm surrendering my will over to him now. And I commit my life, my purpose, my death, my destiny to this risen man, Jesus Christ. It was happening all the time in the ancient world. Paul says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And that's the good news. What's true is this can be you. It really can. This is true for anyone. This expression of this commitment on that very first day was baptism. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. It involves water because even physically, water is what we use to cleanse stuff. We need cleansing and we know it. Peter said at the end of his sermon, if you believe this, then I want to challenge you. You commit your life to this man, Jesus. You repent and get baptized. And people did right on that day. The text says, those who accepted his message were baptized. 
and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You notice they began their commitment with immediate obedience to this man Jesus and what he had said. They didn't say, I'll do the baptism thing someday when I get around to it. They didn't say, I'll schedule it when it's convenient or when I feel like doing it or class. They said, I can't wait. No more putting this off. I have to start now. And so I want to end this sermon the same way Peter ended his sermon. I want to give you the chance to make a commitment to Jesus and then get baptized. Some of you are thinking, you mean I could sign up for baptism today? No, I mean get baptized today. Some of you are thinking, church, I mean, isn't there a committee I should join or a class I have to take or something I need to do first? No, actually, you just took the class. This is the class that Peter had offered for the very first time. That was the message. You can get baptized today. Some of you have been baptized before. You've entered into a covenant with God. And God doesn't go back on his word. But you violated that covenant in the past. And you want to recommit your life to God by remembering your baptism. And you can do that today. Some of you are thinking, you know, I'm a person of faith and I believe in all that. But my faith is a very private thing. I'm not going to embarrass myself by doing something in front of all these people in public. Well, I want to tell you that baptism is a way of going public with your ultimate commitment. And it's a really important step in your faith. Imagine if when I got engaged to my wife, Amber, I said, yes, I'll commit to you. I'll do that. But let's just make it a private deal between you and me. I don't want to have to do it publicly in a ceremony with a bunch of people watching where I have to wear a ring and everybody's going to know that I married you. That would be embarrassing. If I had said that, there would be two less children in the world today (laughs) and maybe one less adult. I can't imagine facing Jesus someday and saying, you know, I believe in you. I claim your forgiveness on the cross. I expect to have eternity with you in the afterlife. But when it comes to the very first step of obedience, you demand baptism. I think I'll take a pass. No thanks. I can't imagine doing that. Some people make baptism into an issue of denomination or church tradition rather than just a command in the Bible. And you may be thinking, I don't know about getting baptized here. I'm not sure I want to be a member of this church. Well, we're not sure we want you to be a member of this church either. This is not about church membership. This is a separate deal. That's a different thing. This is about putting a stake in the ground. This is about going public in front of the whole world and saying, I have decided to follow this man, Jesus, and I don't care who knows. In fact, I want everybody to know. And I'm telling you, something happens inside you, inside your spirit. When you go public, I thought it might actually help you to see what baptism looks like. So we're going to do that right now. Faye Moore is here, and I'm going to ask her to join me on stage. And we did this at the 830 service earlier today. 
Now, Faye, this is your moment. Yes. This is a really sacred moment. Yes. And I'm going to ask you some questions to which you're going to say, I do. Okay? No. No. I've already done that. So have you. Do you know Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins and the savior of your life? And do you want to declare now your commitment to Jesus before all these people publicly by being baptized? Yeah, all right. This is a special moment, a holy moment. And so, Faye, because of your commitment to Jesus Christ and obedience to his command, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm telling you, when you watch the drama of redemption in a human life, there's nothing in the world like that. And in a moment, I'm going to invite anybody who wants to experience the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday to just come up. But first, we're going to pray. So would you bow your head and close your eyes? And maybe you've never done this before. And you can just tell God right now, God, today on this Easter Sunday... I want to humble myself. I confess my own sin, how I've messed up my life and my need for you. God, I ask today for your forgiveness and your grace through Jesus, who died to show his love for me. And I commit my life from this day forward to this risen Jesus as my leader and my forgiver and my friend. God, thank you that you are still in the business of redeeming and reclaiming and restarting the lives of women and men. And we pray this now in Jesus' strong name. Amen. And now the invitation is open for anybody who wants to experience the drama of redemption in human life through baptism. You can simply come forward, receive this sacrament, and we'll cheer you on like crazy. And if you've been around this church for any length of time, you know we like to celebrate with a whoopee! And we're going to do that. So you are welcome to come forward. Come on up, Helen. Uh, obviously, obviously, Helen, I know your name, but would you say your name for everyone to hear? Helen Bolin. Great. Oops. I must have turned it off. All right, let's try that again. Helen Bolin. Great. Thank you, Helen. I'm going to ask you the same questions. Do you know Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins and the savior of your life? And do you want to declare now your commitment to Jesus before all these people publicly by being baptized? I do. Okay. And then Helen, because of your recommitment to Jesus Christ and obedience to his command, I rebaptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
your name too, but would you share your name? Maddie. Maddie. Okay. Maddie, do you know Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins and the savior of your life? And do you want to declare now your commitment to this Jesus before all of these people publicly by being baptized? And then Maddie, because of your commitment to Jesus Christ and obedience to his command, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Taylor, will you state your name for everyone? Taylor. All right. And Taylor, do you know Jesus as the forgiver of your sins and the Lord of your life? And do you want to declare now your commitment to Jesus before all these people publicly by being baptized? All right. And Taylor, because of your commitment to Jesus Christ and obedience to his command, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hi, can you state your name? Lisa Schweigert. All right. Lisa, do you know as the forgiver of your sins and the Lord of your life? And do you want to declare your commitment to this Jesus before all these people by being publicly baptized? I do. And Lisa, because of your commitment to Jesus Christ and obedience to his command, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This is Darla. Yeah, say hi, Darla. Hi. I am. Darla, do you know Jesus Christ yes. as the forgiver of your sins and the savior of your life? And do you want to declare now your commitment to Jesus and um, before all of these people by being publicly baptized? I do. All right. Then Darla, because of your commitment to Jesus Christ and obedience to his command, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Hi, Megan. And this is Megan. Hi. And, and so, Megan, I'm going to ask you the same questions I've asked everybody else. Do you know Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins and the Lord of your life? And do you want to declare now your commitment to this Jesus by being publicly baptized in front of all these people? <laughs> all right. And Megan, because of your commitment to Jesus Christ in obedience to his command, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
What's your name? Mike. Mike. All right. This is Mike. And so, Mike, do you know Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your, of your sins yes, and the Lord of your life? And do you want to declare now your commitment to this Jesus by being publicly baptized in front of all these people? Yes. All right. Then, Mike, because of your commitment to Jesus Christ and obedience to his command, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is such a special moment, such a holy moment. What a privilege it is to be able to share this with you and all of you this morning. Thank you for your courage and your willingness. We're praying for you. We're praying for you. You know, I mentioned that we have a tradition at Hope Covenant Church. And after people get baptized, uh, the pastors will exclaim, and all God's people said, and then everybody comes back with a resounding whoopee. This is something that uh, I learned from um, one of my faraway mentors, Dallas Willard. Um, and so I'd like to do that today as a way to celebrate these people who have uh, entered into or recommitted to a lifelong relationship with God. So let's do that together. And all God's people said, whoopee. Amen. Okay, great. This is great. Hi, Mary. This is Mary. She's in high school. She's a beautiful soul. So, Mary, I'm going to ask you the same questions I've asked everybody else. Do you know Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins and the Lord of your life? And do you want to declare now your commitment to Jesus before all these people publicly by being baptized? All right. Then Mary, because of your commitment to Jesus Christ in obedience to his commands, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We can keep going. <laughs> Let me pray. And before we do, um, sorry, fake out. Um, <laughs> if God is weighing on your heart, this isn't the end. You know, if you want to get baptized, this is something that we can do next week or next month. Whenever you feel like God is saying, okay, now's the time. We'd love for you to be baptized. And so uh, let us know. Uh, you can talk to me or to Amber or Eric or anybody here on staff. What? Oh, yes. And so I want to call the ushers forward. And so uh, let me pray as they do that.
Oh God, I thank you so much for this day and the celebration of new life in you. I thank you for your resurrection power and uh, the work that you are doing in the midst of our lives to transform us from the inside out. I thank you so much for uh, these courageous souls that have stepped forward and entered into this relationship with you and renewed this relationship with you. God, you never give up on us. You never let us go. Oh God, what a happy day this is. And we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.